Now, here's what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. I'm going to be talking to you about covenant power and blessing. Because when it talks about that we are, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. It is referring to the covenant that God made with Abraham. And as you begin to read the covenant that God made with Abraham, it's a powerful covenant. God tells Abraham, he says, look up at the stars of the sky. Look at the sand of the sea. He he said, look at that. He said, just as that is, he said, I am going to make your descendants the same way. And God makes this unalterable covenant with, with Abraham that he is going to give them the land of Israel. And he said, it's for your descendants from this day forward. That's why I don't care what happens over there. It's always going to be the Jewish nation. All right, I'm not going to try to get political with you, but I'm just going to tell you, according to the Word of God, that God gave that to Abraham. It's it's a never-ending covenant. And so, but then it says to us in this passage of Galatians, he goes into that, that we're all children of God through faith, and and we're we're all baptized into Christ, and he goes into that. But then it says that if we belong to Christ, then we are Abraham's seed. So that means that the blessings, the covenant that God made with Abraham are now our blessings and our covenant. In fact, the, the New Testament says this. It says that you are more blessed than Abraham. Now think about that for a minute. Have you read how blessed Abraham was? I mean, I, mean, I want to tell you, when you're having babies at 100, do I need to explain things to y'all? I mean, come on. I mean, let, let, me just, let, me, let me even just go a little bit further. I don't want to ride this pony too far, uh, but, but let me talk to you just a minute. The, the Word of God says that when Sarah is like 80 years old, that they go into the land of Philistia and, and that the Philistine king, she is still so beautiful that he takes her for his wife. Now that's blessed. Come on, we, we just need to pray that blessing. Lord, we just speak that right and and then you keep reading all the stuff in scripture and the, and the word of god says at one point one of abraham's servants says my master is very rich i mean think about that. i mean the, the word of god says that that when lot's taken into captivity by, by five kings that abraham out of his male servants mounts an army to go back and take and to destroy five kings i mean that that's And the Bible says that you're blessed greater than Abraham was blessed. Now, how can that be possible? It is possible because if you begin to understand who Jesus is and the covenant rights that we have in him, then you can begin to live at a different level. Uh, Years ago, in 1845, I won't get historical, but I'll tell you a little history. In 1845, there was what was known as the Irish uh, potato famine. Anybody remember studying that in school? The Irish potato famine lasted for 10 years, and and a quarter of the Irish nation either died or moved away. Uh, It was a horrible thing. It was was a total destruction uh, of Ireland. During that time, a great number of people came to the U.S. and they lived. And, and throughout the process of time, some of them became very wealthy. And they hired a lawyer in New York. And his job was to go back to Ireland 
and, and to find all of the people who were still living there who were relatives of these now rich people in America who had died. And he went back to Ireland, and he spent years, according to the story, he spent years uh, traversing Ireland, and he would walk into hovels. He would walk into shacks. He would walk into people's lives who were barely getting by, and his whole job was to tell them, I know you've been living like a beggar. I know you've been living in poverty, but what I have come to tell you is, is that you are rich. See, that's my job. My job is to tell people, listen, I know you think the devil's got the upper hand. I know that you think life is rough. I know that you think God has forsaken you, but I just want you to know you are the seed of Abraham. You have been given a will and a testament, and that will has been released unto you, and Jesus Christ died on a cross so that that will could be put into effect. But the great thing is we don't have to hire a lawyer. The Word of God says that Jesus Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us. That he is now acting as the lawyer to fulfill the covenant that God has made with mankind. And when you begin to understand that and you begin to live in that dimension, you will begin to see that there has been a covenant or there has been a will that has been made in the favor of man. And, and so to, to understand that, you don't need to be in a hurry. So I may take, you know, 45 minutes or more tonight, all right? Because you don't even want to go out in this. And because and, and we got this really insulated. For you to be able to hear that, it's raining hard, okay? Uh, take your Bibles, go to the book of 1 Samuel, because I, I want to share the story of David with you. I want to show you some covenant stuff tonight, okay? Uh, because it's powerful, and over the next few weeks, we want to develop this about the blood covenant and the covenants that God has made with mankind and how that we live in that. Uh, 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter beginning in verse number one, and again reading out of the New International Version, it says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit. Now remember, Jonathan is Saul's son, okay? Uh, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his own family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now let me stop right here and say this. This is not a homosexual sexual relationship it's being propagated as that uh, by a, a liberal theology and whatever he is just talking about coming into a, a, a brother-to-brother relationship is what he's talking about and Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and arrow and his belt now now here's what we have and I, I want to kind of break this down for us here's what we've got We've got two families here. We've got David uh, and his family, and David lives, according to Scripture, David lives to do the will of God. How many of you know that? I mean, now, did, did David get it all right? I mean, David was a big sinner. Doesn't that make you happy? Come on, it really should make you happy. You, you, should, you should go all right. If David could go to heaven, I know I'll make it. I mean, because... Well, I'll just keep moving. 
But, but when you read Scripture, you find out that, that the family of David lives to do the will of God. But then there's another family, and it's the family of Saul. And when you read the Scripture, Saul literally lives to do his own will. He doesn't live to do, to do God's will. He lives to do his own will. And so there's this dichotomy here of, of Saul and Jonathan in this family and David over here. But, but it's almost like Jonathan did not belong in the family of Saul. His, his personality, his attitude, his life, everything about Jonathan is different. And, and so he and David come into this blood covenant relationship. And when you begin to study blood covenant, it's, it's, um, it can be gory, it can be kind of gruesome, and yet it is one of the most powerful things that's ever happened throughout history. In fact, it, it is the, the one thing that you find that is a constant uh, from, from culture to culture through the years is the aspect of blood covenant. Uh, it, it is as old as humanity, and you find it even, even when you study the Scripture, literally what God did with Adam and Eve was is that he, he offered a blood covenant to cover them. And that was the first blood covenant. And in that covenant, he said, uh, the, the, the snake's going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush his head. And out of that, uh, we, we move forward. And so you have that covenant, you have Noah's covenant, Abraham, on and on and on. But when you get to the, the process here of David and Jonathan, you, you see something. There's this blood covenant that David and Jonathan enter into. Now, let me explain to you what happens in a blood covenant. All right? What you do is, is that you decide you're going to go into covenant with somebody and you get an animal. That animal may be a goat, it may be a sheep, it may be whatever. And you take that animal and you literally split that animal in two. It's, it's in two halves. It's split right down the backbone and it's laid uh, side to side here and, and, and each side. And there's a path that you can walk through. Actually, what they would do, they would walk in a figure eight between the two halves. Okay, so you've got this you got this bloody mess and I don't mean that in a, in a cruel sense, but that really is what it is. And, and so you, you have that. And then as they walk through the, the two pieces in this figure eight, there's these solemn exchanges that begins to happen. And that's what we read there uh, when, when it said that Jonathan gave him his coat, he gave him his bow, he gave him his uh, sword, he gave him all of these things. And, and as we look at that in our society, it doesn't mean much. But in this society, it means everything. And when you want to understand who you are in Jesus Christ and what your privileges and rights are in God, then you have to understand blood covenant because the cross is all about blood covenant. All right? It's not about God being mad at man and killing his only begotten son. It is about blood covenant. It is about the covenant that God makes with man that is irreparable and it's irbreakable because God made it with himself. In fact, at one point the Bible says that when God could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Right? And so when, when you begin to look at David and Jonathan, there's this total exchange that happens. All that David has is given to Jonathan. And all that Jonathan has in a symbolic way is given to David. What, what they say to one another is, is all my strength is at your disposal. All I possess is at your disposal. All I hope to be uh, is in union with you. Anything that happens from this day forward is going to be in union with you. Now, also, they also exchange their weaknesses. They exchange their debts. I mean, would you not like to go into covenant with Bill Gates? Come on. I mean, come on, Bill. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll go into covenant. All that you possess is yours, and now that we're in covenant, all you possess is mine. 
I mean, think about it. Well, that, that'd be pretty cool. And, and so they exchange their weaknesses and, and, and all their debts and all their responsibilities and all these things are given. And so I kind of want to break this down tonight, and then the next couple of weeks or so we'll build off of this and, and kind of move forward. But, but I, I want to kind of go through what they did at this point and kind of explain to you what happened. The first act, when you read in Scripture there, is that they exchange the coat, they exchange the belt, and they exchange their weapons. Now, the coat symbolizes all that I am. What, what, what it means is all that I am, I'm giving to you. Now, they, you know, in that society, please understand, in that society, they didn't go into their closet and say, which one of the 500 blouses am I going to wear today? Which of the 40,000 pair of shoes am I going to put on today? If they had two changes of clothes, they were doing pretty good. And most people in that society were doing good to have one change of clothes. But there was a distinctiveness about the clothing. The clothing wasn't mass-produced like ours is. You know, it, it, it wasn't that you, you were always afraid to walk into any, any certain location because you were afraid somebody else was going to have on what you have on, all right? Because everything was individually made and everything. And so uh, it, it's kind of, let, let's use this scenario so you'll remember. Uh, and it's like Joseph in the coat of many colors, all right? You could see Joseph coming from way off before you could actually distinguish his features, but because of his coat, you knew it was Joseph. So it's the same way with Jonathan, who's the king's son, and David, who's the shepherd boy. Now think about this for a minute. All of a sudden, the shepherd boy is getting the identification of the king's son. Don't miss it. We were the shepherd. We were the ones who were nobodies. And yet, God chose through Jesus Christ to give us the identity as sons and daughters of God. And, and the, the Bible says that we are hid with Christ in God. See, when the, when the devil comes knocking on your door, don't answer. Let Jesus answer. No, you missed it. If I am hid with Christ in God then I don't have to answer the door when he shows up. Jesus answers the door. Why? Because I've been given, watch, I've been given a coat of righteousness. Not my righteousness. My righteousness is his filthy rags. But a coat that Jesus Christ gives me. David puts on the coat, and all of a sudden everybody looks, and they, and they can't really see, and they go, I, I thought Jonathan was taller than that. But that's Jonathan's, that looks like John. And, and so it just, it means when, when they exchange clothes, it means all that I am now is yours. And then they would exchange their belt and their weapons. Now, the reason they exchanged their belt is their belt held up their weapons. They held up their sword and carried their arrows, all those things. And, and so they exchanged that. And in exchange of that, what they were saying is, is that I am now giving you my strength and my power. Now, remember what Jesus said to us. He said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. But then he said to us, he said, I give you authority that whatsoever you bind on earth. Well, some of you ought to get excited. 
Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Why? Because we have now exchanged with Jesus Christ the authority that I had. He looked at his disciples one day, and he said, hey, guys, you see everything that I have done? They said, oh, yeah, Lord, you've raised the dead, you've healed the sick, you've cast out devils, you've multiplied food, you've done all these things. He said, that's great. He said, but greater things than this shall you do because I go to my Father. He said, it's not good that I dwell with you. He said, I need to go away so that the paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit can come, and I have been with you, but he shall be in you. And so all of a sudden, we move, if we can begin to understand this from the life of David and Jonathan, that there is an exchange of who I am. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. The life that I now live, I live by grace of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's, it's not me. I'm dead. That's, that's what covenant's all about. I died. When I was seven years old, I died. But I got back up in Jesus. And now I live in Jesus. And so I don't walk around feeling, well, just poor pitiful me. Well, I don't know. You know, times are really tough. I don't think I'm going to make it. No, no, no. I am more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. And, and so as you begin to understand that, you begin to live at a different level. Then, then secondly, there was the shedding of blood. Now, there's a shedding of blood in a couple of ways. There's a shedding of blood of the animal. And as we kind of go through this over the next few weeks, we, we will develop that more. But there was also a shedding of blood from, from the two people who were going into the covenant. And literally, it was usually a mark in the hand. They would come and they would, they would literally make an incision. They would cut their hand and usually they would bend down and take some ashes out of the fire and they would put those ashes in their hand. In fact, if you study history and you study the Western handshake, the Western handshake comes out of covenant. I don't miss it. Here's, here's what it meant. When David cut his hand and Jonathan cut his hand, then they came together and their blood mingled together. You heard the term blood brothers? Their blood mingled together and then they put something in there so that every time, now watch this, every time that Jonathan would look at his hand, he would be reminded of David. And every time David looked at his hand, (laughs) the Bible says, Jesus said, I have written you on the palms every time he remembers. Every time. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, and and we're we're there. We're, We're in covenant relationship. And so th- there's this whole aspect there of, of, of the, the process where the, where the blood covenant comes together. Now, here's the deal about blood covenant. You can make covenants without blood, but blood covenants were supposed to be unbreakable. They, they were, they were the, the greatest covenant that could be made with, with each other. And so when Jesus Christ came as the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, and he gave his life, it was the greatest covenant that had ever been made and none greater could ever be made. That's why we don't need to offer sacrifices on Sunday morning when we gather. 
I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine coming to church? Now, remember how all this works. Uh, in the Old Testament, if you, if you committed a little sin, you brought a turtle dove. You know, and as your sins grew, your animals grew. I mean, can, can you imagine being out front and I'm out there and all the pastoral staff's out there and Come on, use your, use your imagination with a minute. We got our sharp knives and we got all this stuff laying there. And, and all of a sudden you see a guy drive up with a tractor trailer. <laughs> and he just starts, he just starts unloading. <laughs> and you go, man, I don't know what he did this week, but it was, it was big. Right? Uh, you know, thank the Lord we don't have to do that anymore. You know, because Jesus once and for all offered his blood, it was a ransom. The scripture says he took it into the heavenlies, into the, 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 the actual tabernacle in the heavenlies, sprinkled it on the mercy seat, and, and his blood is powerful for us today. And, and so th- there's that aspect of the blood covenant. Then, then the third step that would happen in this whole blood covenant is, is that they would then stand between the pieces of the sacrifice, of the animal, and, and they would begin to shout the benefits that each one was going to give to the other. And so uh, they, they would shout out their strengths. You know, I'm, I'm a great uh, soldier. I'm, I'm a great man of war. And, and whatever it is, you know, they, they would begin to shout out their bank account number. <laughs> Hallelujah. They, I mean, they, they would begin to shout out, you know, their, their education. What, whatever it is, they, they would shout it out during that time. They, they would talk about that. But also during that aspect, they would also shout out the curses that were going to come if the covenant was broken. Remember, what is it, Deuteronomy 28, 29, that whole aspect there? There's two mountains, the Mount of Blessing, the Mount of Cursing. God stands His people between the two of them. He says, if you will do these things, these are the blessings that will come on you. He says, but if you don't obey me, here are the curses that are going to come on you. See, now I'm going to say this, and you're not going to be happy, but just get ready. A lot of times the reason that we have some mess in our life is not because God's mad at us. It is because we have broken the covenant and the then opens us up to the curses of the covenant. Now the great thing is all you got to do is repent, and you can get right back in a relationship with him. I don't know why so many people find it so hard to repent. I just repent all the time. I mean, I repent of stuff I hadn't even done. You know, I, I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure I'm good. Yeah, Lord, I, I thought I might want to do that sometime down the road, so I just repent of that. Why? Because I want my covenantial blessings. And then, then they would set up a, mor- a memorial, and that memorial generally was a meal. Are you getting the picture yet? That, that memorial was generally a meal. Remember Jesus at, at the, you know, what we call the Last Supper, this meal? Uh, I just finished reading a, uh, a, a great book. It's, it's written by a Catholic scholar, but it's a great book on, on the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. And it, I'll be honest with you, it's going to mess with some of y'all, but it opened my eyes to some things from a Catholic perspective that I had never understood as a Protestant about what communion was all about. It's a, I won't tell you the name of it because some of you, it will mess your theology all up. But anyway, uh, it, it was it was helpful to me to, to be able to see that from a little different perspective. And, and so then this meal, now watch this because I want you to get it and, I'll, and then I'll close in about 10, 15, 20, 45 minutes, something. Uh, and, and, and then this meal was done on a consistent basis. And every time that the meal was partaken of, it didn't matter who was there, it was always in remembrance of the covenant. 
Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And he said, do it until I come. Now, I'm going to say again, I'm going to say something else that's going to mess with some of you. Uh, some of you come from traditions that you took communion every Sunday. That may not be such a bad thing. In fact, if you study some scriptural references, it seems like communion wouldn't be a bad thing to do daily. Oh, hallelujah. Can, can, can I have about 10 minutes to kind of show you how this thing lives out? All right. Um, the covenant is passed on to descendants, and, and, it, and it goes from generation to generation to generation. It, it just lives on. It's the same way with us with Jesus. Uh, when you get home tonight, if you've got time or in the next couple of days, read 2 Samuel 9. Just write it down. I'm not going to read it. Uh, but it. But it's in reference to this covenant between David and Jonathan. All right? Um, David, and, and if you know the story right, well, Jonathan and Saul are killed in battle on one day. They're, they're both killed and wiped out. Uh, at that point, Jonathan has a son. And that son's name is Mephibosheth. If you need a new baby's name, that'd be a good one. Mephibosheth, okay? If, you get, if you're pre anybody pregnant and looking for a name, that's a good one. Uh, Mephibosheth. And, uh, and, and so this, this whole, before this happens, let me, let me just kind of back up here. You remember the story how Saul hated David? I mean, and really the reason was is because David was anointed and Saul had lost his anointing. That's really what it boiled down to. Uh, it was, you know, it was yesterday's man and today's man in a sense. Saul was yesterday's man. He had lost the anointing. Today's man was David, okay? And, and so he, he hates David. He's trying to kill him, and he, and he sows this bitterness and hatred throughout his family to everybody except Jonathan. Jonathan loves David till the day he dies, but this, this whole thing has been sold in the life of, of everybody in the family of Saul. And so when they hear that Jonathan and Saul are dead, the, the nursemaid grabs this little boy, whose name is Mephibosheth, who is Jonathan's son, grabs him up and begins to run out of the house with him because she, she knows what's going to happen next is David's coming to the throne and he's going to kill everybody. That's in Saul's lineage. That, that's just what you did in that day. Uh, anybody from the last one, you wiped them out because you didn't want them coming up. And so as she is running, the Scripture says as she is running, she falls, and she falls on top of this little boy, and she cripples him for life. And, uh, and they go to a place, and, and the name of this place is Lodibar, L-O-D-I-B-A-R, Lodibar. Uh, Lodibar just means a desert place. Uh, and, and so they go to Lodibar, and actually Mephibosheth grows up in Lodibar. He grows up basically uh, as a rebel and a terrorist against David. Every, everything he knows about David is hate. He hates but because David represents the new kingdom. David represents the law. David represents everything that he is against. And, and the Word of God says that one day after David kind of solidifies his kingdom, the Scriptures, and, I, and we don't know what happened. I'm going to kind of tell it the way I want to, okay? I'm preaching. I'm going to do it the way I want to. I, I think one day David looks down and he sees that mark in his hand. And he's reminded of his covenant. And the Scripture says he turns to his servants and he says, Is there anyone of the house of Jonathan that I may be kind to? And the servants go out and they start scurrying and they start looking and they come back and they say, well, there, there's one kid, there, there's one boy, but he's crippled and, and he's a mess. 
and he's living out with all the rebels against your kingdom. He hates everything about you. He, he doesn't live right. He doesn't live like a king's kid. Come on. I mean, he's, he's just, and David said, I don't care. He said, go get him. And the, the Bible says that they go to Lodibar. I mean, can you imagine? Here's, here's Mephibosheth. He's been living kind of, you know, he's, he's living in a dump. He's living out in this place. And, and he, his hatred is so great against David. And, and all of a sudden, here comes the horses and the chariots of David's army. And, and in his mind, he's thinking, they, they're here to kill me. They're going to take me out. My day is over. And they, they come up and they, they say, David wants to see you. And he goes, it's over. It's over. And, and the Word of God says that they get him and they put him in the, the chariot and they bring him back to, to the kingdom. And they bring him into the palace and they bring him before David. Now, here's David in all the royal splendor. Here, here's David sitting on the throne. He has a crowns on his head. Uh, he's got the beautiful robe on. He's got all the servants around him. The armed guards are standing. I mean, it is a magnificent picture of David on the throne. And here comes this dirty, nasty, crippled rebellious, angry young man who comes before David. And the Bible says that he takes his crutches and he throws them down and he falls on his feet before David and he says, I'm a dog. Think about that. Now, I want to tell you, that's a picture of us before Jesus comes into our life is that we are brought before the King of kings in all of his greatness, in all of his splendor, in all of his holiness and righteousness. And we have been rebels and we have been crippled and we have been a mess. And we come before him and all we can say is, I'm a dead dog. And, and all we are expecting, and I want to tell you, all Mephibosheth was expecting at this point was my head is coming off. Here's what David said. <laughs> David said, because of your father, I will give you all the land of your father. You will live in my palace from this day forward. You will eat at my table and every bit of the money that your family had, I am restoring it back to you. I'm giving it back to you. Now, now I want to tell you, I, I know from reading Scripture, and, you, and some of you who have developed this and have read it know, know that, that, that even down the road after Mephibosheth comes into the palace, he even winds up in rebellion, and there has to be a restoration. And wonderful, thank God there is. I mean, that, that's such a wonderful picture. Well, we don't have time for that. But, but Mephibosheth did not feel as though he deserved it. And you know what? He didn't. There was nothing in him that deserved what he got. It was all because of the covenant that David had made with Jonathan. But because of the covenant that Jonathan and David had made, now Mephibosheth steps in and he is now seated in the palace as a king's kid. He has the same benefits. He has the same rights. He has the same authority as every one of David's natural-born sons. Do, do you get it? It's not because of what I've done. 
that I have the right to pray over somebody and believe that they're going to be healed. It's because of what Jesus did. It, it's, it's not because of what I've done that I'm able to believe that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, my provider. It is because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, I have been grafted in, I have been brought in, and now the Bible says, it doesn't say later, it says now we sit together in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. So somebody walks up and says, oh, I remember you when. You say, wait a minute. The old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. I used to be a rebel. I used to be a hater. I used to be all of those things. And it wasn't anything that I did. All that I did was confess I was a dead dog. But because I confessed I was a dead dog, because of the blood that was shed, the, my father entered into a covenant. Now I have the right to be an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Wow.